Hosting provided by Host Tornado. They offer website hosting packages, dedicated servers, and VPS solutions. HostT.net. Programming Throwdown, episode 22, LaTeX. Take it away, Patrick. All right, so thank you for that introduction, Jason. Yes, yes. You got the smooth radio voice going. Yeah, I want to, you know, uh, keep myself well-rounded. So I figured, you know. So I'll do some, you do some. That yeah, way I don't steal yeah. the thunder. Yeah, yeah, you guys you guys missed the other three takes where Patrick did it. I just started screaming. No, no you were crying because it was so beautiful. Oh, yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> All right, anyways. So I, uh, I'm behind the times, but I finally decided to upgrade my computer to a new version of Ubuntu. So I actually went to the long-term support one or whatever because mm-hmm. I figure I don't really like this. I hate this, so I'm just going to the, <laughs> the LDS one. So I went to yeah. Precise Pangolin. Yep, yep. Precise Bad Pangolin. idea. <laughs> yeah. So, do not like, do not like. <laughs> so, I wish I could just uninstall. So on my home computer, I've been on Precise Pangolin for, well, I was on Precise Pangolin. I'm on 12.10 now. And that, there's a whole slew of issues there, but uh um, but yeah, you know, when I switched to Unity, I didn't didn't mind it too much, you know. So, like, so I think this is the issue, right? So Unity, this is the new like, I guess UI kind of name yeah, thing so and widgets. GNOME. Okay, yeah. all right. So GNOME yep. is what we had before, and yeah, now we have Unity. I, I wish we didn't. <laughs> yeah. The whole left be, bar thing, I don't, don't like. United? No, I, I feel like they're just trying to be different just to do something different, right? Like, no. maybe I'm sure, like, I don't get into the whole, like, I'm not really involved in the community very much. I don't mm-hmm. really know the backstory, so I'm probably offending a, a million people here. Yeah, everyone's so That's okay. Um, uh, yeah, I don't like it, personally. <laughs> yeah. My personal preference is I hate it. <laughs> so, like, I, I want my thing at the bottom back or at the top where I can click on each instance of, like, if I have, you know, five five Chrome windows open or five you know, command windows open. Like whatever it is, like I want, I want to be able to like switch between them on the task run. I don't, it, it doesn't work for me mm-hmm. to not be able to, like I don't, I feel like it's constantly in my way instead of helping me. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I've had it for a while. At first I, I hated it. Now I've started to like it. There's some things that still drive me crazy. And one of them is, you know, they have the dash, like they moved to this dashboard. So you actually have to click on like dash home and then, uh, then type in like, so if I want, you know, uh, if I want Chrome, I click on dash home and then I have to type in Chrome and then it comes up. Whereas before they had that bar at the top that had like applications, just, yeah. utilities, and it's like effectively like this multi start menu thing going but on. You can push alt and get that too, right? You can do what? I think if you just tap alt, it comes up. Really? I think on my computer it does. Maybe that's a setting. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I, I feel like I, I did that on mine because every time I alt tab and then I don't get the tab fast enough, that thing comes up. Oh. So maybe my setting is different. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, weird. Maybe uh, maybe that's something too. Maybe I just like haven't tweaked in the settings right. Like so, I upgraded also a while ago to the new version of OS X. I don't even know what the names oh, are. Oh, yeah, really bad. It was like Mountain Lion so, for a while. I don't know if it still is. Yes, that's it. Is that it? Mountain okay. Lion. And they switched leopard. the they switched. So I I was skipped two. Like I skipped one. So oh, I, okay. I I you skipped, I skipped the intermediate. Leopard. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> I'm really bad with the names. <laughs> oh, it's no. horrible. I think I should have researched this. It doesn't matter. From snow we, okay, I went from scrolling normally on the trackpad oh, yeah. to scrolling the reverse way. Yeah. I tried it. Like I'm like, I'm gonna like this. This must be great. And then one day later I turned it off. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm like, nope. I don't like lasted it. a lot longer than I did. I only lasted about an hour. I was like, I can't take it. And and so it's like it's funny, I still think about it. So so let me just give everyone sort of a mental model for for what's happening here. So it used to be that if you put two fingers on the pad and you moved your hand, your fingers down, you scroll down. If you move them up, you scroll up. And it logically makes sense. But if you think about it in terms of like putting your hand physically on a piece of paper. And no, if the touchpad were the screen. Right, exactly. And it was a piece of paper, yeah, and you touched it and slid it up the screen would move down. Like yeah. the, the paper would, like where if, you're viewing would move lower on the exactly. page. Exactly, like if you focus your eye on a spot and then you took your fingers, you put them down on a piece of paper and you moved up, that spot, what you're looking at on the page would be lower. So you'd actually be scrolling down by moving your fingers up. 
It's basically like the tablet. That's what happens on the tablet. Yeah. You touch on the screen, and then the words underneath your finger stay underneath your finger. Exactly, yeah. Which is why it makes sense. Yeah. But on my trackpad, because I've been doing it for, I'm an old person, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, people are like, they're not making fun of us because uh, they're like, oh, those like, people are, they these, are not old. What are they talking about? Are these crotchety old? <laughs> no, they're saying the opposite. They're like, they're like, those <laughs> aren't old. <laughs> anyways, so like scroll. Anyways, yeah, I don't like that. So that's my rant, but the Ubuntu thing I really didn't like. And I mean, there's all sorts of ways to get out from yeah. under it. The problem is like when you deviate from this, like you're stuck in this thing. So there's always been like when before I was a big Windows user and I still do use Windows for a lot of stuff. You know, there's like all these shell hack things you can do to like make your computer look different. And that's cool. But then if you go to upgrade the next one, like it doesn't work and you're used yep. to something different. Yep. So I feel like I want to stay as close to vanilla default installation as possible because then I don't always have to like reinstall stuff and change stuff. Yep. I used but to do this. I used to even when I when I ran Windows, I used to have like all of these things. Like I had one which like split my desktop into four if I wanted it to. I had another one where like the terminal, like you could it was easier to paste. Like if you just right clicked, it pasted instead of having to like do something else. I don't know. But like I made all these tweaks to it and then I updated to, I think it went from XP to seven and I lost everything and I just said, forget it. I'm not going to waste time. And then the time, same tools you know? don't work anymore and you can't yeah. do that. Or if you go use somebody else's computer, it doesn't work the same. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who's mm. addicted. Well, he's like a real, a zealot for Dvorak keyboards. And like he, he came over to my house and couldn't even like type an email. <laughs> it was hilarious. Aww. So I mean, same thing. I've always thought like, oh, I should do this, right? Like it makes the way the QWERTY keyboard is set up is retarded. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally meant to make you type slower. Yep. yep. And that's why they invented it. And, and we've probably all heard the story, right? So like, I want to switch, but the problem is like, I know if I switch, not every computer, like I don't have complete control over every computer that I use or I go yep. use somebody else's computer or somebody, you know, like especially like at work, somebody, like it's rare, but somebody sometimes needs to use, like show me something on the computer or type something in. They can't use it. Yeah. Like, yep. you know, if I reboot or something updates, like auto updates and like somehow removes it and I boot up and like I, my password won't work, like it's going to take me forever to figure it out. Like, yep. Uh, yep. Th then you're typing things that don't match your keyboard. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it should be good and I should do it, I guess. I just... But for compatibility, it, right? Yeah. yeah, it's just not worth it. And that's the same thing with a lot of, lot of tech, not just software, but even other stuff. I remember like having early versions of iPads, right? Like essentially these other tablet devices or, you know, Palm Pilot style things. And it's never worked. They didn't have wide adoption. Yep. You were kind of out on the fringes, and they just didn't have the same support. Once something goes mainstream, we don't like it because now it's not elitist and cool at some level. But at another level, it's just so much nicer because now yep. I can go to Target and or Walmart or wherever, Amazon, and I find like a hundred different choices for what phone case I want, if I have, you know, a current popular phone or an iPad or, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, like there's, because stuff is more mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I have an Android phone and I still suffer from this a little bit, like, and now not so much anymore because Android phones are getting more popular, but especially like a year ago, it's like, I want this cool case, but it's only for iPhone. Well, so, so yeah, so I have an iPhone, this is what my main phone is, and like, mm -hmm. it works really, so I had an Android phone, and the nice thing is that, they've gone less split. So it used to be like everybody had a slightly diverse, different version of the same Android phone. Yeah, right. You right. know, and it was very fragmented. Now they're going like less. So like one phone will be released across all the carriers. Yep. Um, and so that's nicer because then you can make a case. But if you have like, oh, one has a keyboard and one doesn't and one has a little antenna and one doesn't, like then, yeah, that never happens. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a nightmare. Anyways, yeah, don't don't like the Unity thing. I'm yeah. sorry, not a fan. We'll see. I, I want to know your opinion in like three or four months. So I've been at it for like two, Two or three weeks now, so. Yeah. And I gave it a fair shake. I'm really tempted to turn it off, like figure out the best <laughs> yeah. way to turn it off. But you know what, or especially with else. Linux or, or any of these OSs, you know what's gonna happen. The next version, like whatever your hack you're doing to get around it now will be gone. Yes. Like it won't even be there, so. Mm. So. Uh, right, that's my rant. Yeah, okay, well. So now to something slightly happier, I'll take the version news story. Yeah. Now something slightly happier, uh, a lot of people are killing each other virtually. <laughs> So Call of Duty Black <laughs> Ops 2. So I, I'm not a huge like current gamer. I like video games, but mm -hmm. I play a lot of old video games. Same here. Cheap. <laughs> Sorry, I wait for them to like crash in price and it'd be like really cheap Steam oh, sale. Yeah, I'm, thinking, or, I'm thinking really old. Like oh, or, or listen now, like I love playing my Super Nintendo games or yeah. my NES games or like uh, man, like I like old stuff. I'll, I don't know, it's just simpler and I don't have a lot of time to play video yeah. games or I don't make a lot of time to play video games, I should say. But they has 150 million hours have yeah. been played. That's it's crazy. Absolutely insane. And a, the, a billion dollars? A billion dollars in 15 days, faster than Avatar hit a it's billion dollars. amazing. So like the new media consumption is so interesting. And it's yeah. so expensive. Like, 
personally, I feel like, like sixty dollars or something. I, I don't know how much. It, that's why I would say probably seventy dollars, right? Wow. Like it can be really expensive, and I don't know. I mean, we should look at it. it's probably fifty or sixty. But still, like that's just crazy yeah, to me. That's like a ton. that's a lot of. And, and I'm not saying like if you're gonna play it for a lot of hours, like well worth. Oh no, it's it. totally worth. Like the it. dollar per hour thing. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just like hitting a billion dollars is crazy. Like yeah. people have talked about this a lot. Like oh, are video games eating into the movie market or vice versa? And video games are becoming more like movies and, and like back and forth and all this stuff. And I, I feel like they're two very different styles of entertainment for me personally. Yep, yep. I don't replace one with the other. I feel like they're just different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a serious business being the, the, being in this now. The thing that blows me away, so, so movies, right? So you could watch, you know, some people watch, uh, let's say Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? That's That's like a cult classic. Some people watch that show like every month, like they'll go and watch Rocky Horror and it's like a big event, people have fun, right? So, so it's, it's not true that you only watch a movie once. That part isn't true. But if you look at like overall, most people only watch a movie once, like a particular movie. With a video game, the hours that you put into it vary wildly. Like some people might play Call of Duty or, or any game for like a couple hours and they're done. And some people play it for like months and months and months, right? And so this whole like dynamic of sort of like just having this extremely variable mileage that you get out of this entertainment, I think is just fascinating. And then you have this other thing too where some games are like, you know, have this massive budget. Like Call of Duty, I'm sure their budget was in the tens of millions, right? Yeah. right? But then some games are just like 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 Super Meat Boy. Have you played this game? No. It's a platformer where you have to like run and jump and uh, like there's little like things trying to grind. Like okay. you're a blob okay. of meat okay. and you're in this like meat processing facility and okay. you have to go through all the blades without getting cut or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so, and it's like one guy made it or two guys made it in their spare time or, or I guess maybe it was their full-time job. But these two guys made it and it provided me like hundreds of hours of entertainment, like trying to like navigate these mazes and all this stuff. And just the fact that like this ratio of like investment to entertain investment to return and then return to entertainment like these, these dynamics are just incredible and it's something that like is very hard to explore right now or very hard to know quantify yeah and the enjoyment like over time changes right so like if you go play especially like this black ops 2 like day one people probably got online started playing right away and got good yeah, and then like you jump on like a couple weeks later, or whatever. Like no, nah, let's see. And then you're like, no, like <laughs> it's bad. And even with matchmaking and all that stuff, like yeah, okay. I mean, you can alleviate some of that, but still, like, I mean, you you don't always have the best. You have to stick with it before it becomes really enjoyable, right? Like mm-hmm. before you're at least doing well enough where it's kind of fun. I mean, maybe it's fun before that too for some people. I guess well, it depends. You know, with the Xbox, they actually have modes. They have a a hardcore gamer mode. Then they have another mode, which I can remember. But then the third one, which is what I picked, was family mode. And it doesn't mean you don't see blood or anything like that. It just means, like... You can get you, through the whole game without dying. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like basically, it's like, well, it was for multiplayer. But it's like, okay. you have a family. You're not going to be able to beat this, this kid <laughs> who, like, practices all day. So, like, you play in this league on your own with the rest of the people who can't play well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like at the airport they have this. They have, like, different lanes, like the business oh, lane, yeah. the normal lane, the family lane. I always see people going in the wrong lane. It's like, what is the purpose of this? Is it, like, the family with, like, 30 bags, like, going in the one that shows, like, business traveler travels all the time, <laughs> yeah. has one carry-on or whatever. Yeah. You know, like the, yeah, anyways, okay. Um, yeah, so hilarious. the price is... Retails sixty dollars for oh, the okay. console and the computer, but it looks like you, know, you can get it for cheaper. So this than is the thing online. that blows my mind, right? Is I bought, and this is gonna make me sound really pathetic, but I yes. bought Super Mario Three right when it came out. Actually, to be cl- be fair, my mom bought Super Mario Three for me right when it came out, and it was I think seventy dollars. Wow! And now that's crazy. it has been over twenty years, and video games are still selling for seventy dollars. Like, oh, I never thought about it that yeah, way. Yeah, like the, the price of a video game hasn't changed in two decades. And like just the amount of content and the budget has gone up dramatically. Like I'm sure the budget for SMB3, Super Mario Bros. 3, was not what the budget of Call of Duty is, you know, even with inflation, right? <laughs> so it's just that part is wild. Like the margins have come way down, right, on video games. Yeah, I, I mean, but they're selling a lot more. Like, I mean... Yeah, that's true too. Pretty sure 150 million hours weren't played in the first two weeks of Super Mario Brothers. Three. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. Yeah, I don't see the initial price. You're probably right. I mean, I, I remember seeing something about consoles being really expensive. Like we complain about them being expensive now. 
but like that they used to be crazy expensive especially if you take into account inflation um so yeah all right our next news story you found something that I you found, want for christmas i f- well hang on i also found oh, oh, on answers oh, oh, on yahoo how much did super mario brothers 3 cost when it first came out um this guy said fifty dollars oh no but somebody else said seventy dollars yeah okay so around 50 yeah so about the same price yeah yeah, yeah. okay sorry okay. all right <laughs> anyway <laughs> ruin that transition <laughs> yeah so yeah so i totally you know actually my my mom today was like i don't know what to get you for christmas you know she always says this every well, year. now you know she's gonna spend seventy dollars adjusted so. for inflation <laughs> yeah exactly so i want a super mario 3 cartridge uh so i actually think this thing is totally cool i only found out about it minutes before before um recording the show but uh, i so need lots of research <laughs> yeah after lots of research um they have an uh, android stick pc and the idea is it has an hdmi port so you can plug it into your television um, this one and that it looks I like a thumb to, drive. Yeah, that's right. It's very small. This one I, I linked to apparently needs like certain type of TV that can provide power through the HDMI cable. Yeah, that one. I mean, it looks like it has a port there for like a like oh, a USB a power USB. everything. Yeah, so you can either if your TV supports getting power from HDMI, that'll work. Ah, which the newer okay. TVs do, but there's a way to power it alternatively as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so you can <clears throat> so imagine like you have like the kind of Android power that you would in a phone or something. But it can connect to your TV without having like a mini HDMI. Like it just has complete HDMI. And you can have it like hook up to your TV 24-7. And you do all sorts of cool stuff with it. So I think it's a really fun toy. Uh, I think that there's a lot of cool stuff I'd want to do with it. Yeah, they it's kind of like uh, the Raspberry Pi style thing, right? Yeah, yeah. They You can plug in a, or you can use a wireless keyboard and mouse. So I'm assuming oh. it has some kind of Bluetooth receiver or transmitter. Um, so yeah, it seems pretty fun. I, I I haven't really, you know, I just found out about it, so I haven't thought about what kind of cool <laughs> stuff. Immediately, the thought that comes to mind is to is to get Mame running on it, and then have like so a, to play arcade games. Yeah, yeah, have like the smallest arcade cabinet ever. Actually, I want to get into like woodworking, like not serious, like where it looks good, but just like a oh. saw and a piece of wood and have like be able to make stuff because I'm like I'm really inept we'll have to talk about this another time I actually started doing woodworking but Did like you really? the kind where it looks good oh wow well, we'll, we'll do that next show that'll be our okay, intro right. we'll have to remember okay. anyway um, so I want to make well I should the kind of look like attempting to try to make it look good sorry the goal is good <laughs> okay, yes, the yes. goal is just mediocre yeah okay. just functional <laughs> See, I want to make an arcade cabinet with one of these little sticks and like, I don't know, like a really tiny, or maybe like an arcade I think somebody did that. I saw that on one of the like uh, hacker, like computer hacker things. Yeah, like super miniature arcade cabinet or something. It was like really small. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. who knows what I'm going to do. Maybe it'll be a kit and then you don't have to do any woodworking. Oh, perfect. Your woodworking can just be to glue it up and then you don't even have to worry about it. So this one looks like it houses your phone. Oh, that's awesome. But you could do, like, I mean, you could hack it to just be something else. Okay, anyways, we're looking at pictures, and you guys cannot see them. (laughs) Awesome. Best uh, podcast ever. Speaking of woodworking. So, yeah, so on my notion of crazy things to do with woodworking, because I, so my goal, one of my goals with woodworking is to build automata. So automata are those, uh, well, they mean a variety of things, but the ones I'm thinking of are wooden contraptions where you have like a little hand crank on the side and you crank it and there's like a scene that takes place like almost like a diorama if you know what that is on top of the little box so you like crank it and there's like you know like a horse that pretends like it's running or like a caterpillar pretends like it's crawling or some guy that's like pretending like he's eating a sandwich and waving or a dog that jumps through I saw saw something uh, that's totally epic that's along the lines of what you're talking about this guy made a bicycle and as part of pedaling the bicycle, a mechanical, like a set of mechanical actuators and stuff went, and it's totally analog, so it's not computer or anything. Um, it uh, a, f- a pen drew his signature, or like oh. something that was pretty close I, I to his signature. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, so this would have like gears and yep. pulleys and screws and yeah, all these crazy things to make the things on top do something. And then you leave the bottom where all those things are exposed, so that people can kind of see it working. That's part of the nostalgia of it. Or yeah, whatever. right. That's what I kind of want to do. That's so, amazing. Uh, it, but it's a very lofty goal. I don't know when the when I'll make. So the other thing I want to do is make a wooden clock. So you can make oh, really? like, like all the gears and the pendulum and the escapement, everything that makes wood. it tick, and it's all out of wood. Right. Wow. So I, 
have crazy grandiose ideas. We can oh, talk that's about amazing. So, so do you have a woodworking like? I mean, do you have some kind of benches? I, I'm like, I'm like uh, acquiring it. Oh, so like, okay. I'm like in the process of like starting, like doing some small projects, learning the skills, that kind of stuff. That's Working awesome. my way up. That's great. So I saw this and it immediately intrigued me because when I was growing up, I, I would always be the, the kid in the class who like when somebody asked them, they'd be like, why? But like, not yeah. just to be like a jerk, but like really <laughs> wanted to know like, yeah. like, why is it that way? And so like, um, one of the things was computers, like, like, Oh, it counts in binary. And it's like for the longest time, I thought like, oh, binary couldn't represent every number. Because like somebody just told it to me, like, that's crazy. Like ones and zeros only, like seriously. Yeah. And nobody bothered, like nobody, my, my teachers at the time didn't know how to really explain that to me that like, no, this is, it's a number system. Here's why it can represent yeah, every number. Yeah, it's base two. No, nobody, no, yeah. no that, none of that, right? It's like um, completely more obscure. And one of the things once I figured that I was like on this quest, like I want to understand how a computer processes things. Because people know this, right? Like, oh, People who know a little bit about computers would say, like, oh, it has an instruction set. You'd be like, what? Like, what's an <laughs> what instruction set? Mean? What does it do? How does it, like, how does it know the number, know the other number, put the numbers together, you know, and make something, right? Like, how does that work? And so this kit called the uh, Digicomp 2 yeah. um, is a, something that was made in the 50s. And what it is is, uh, I'm just going to try to describe it. It's like a wooden uh, flat piece of wood that's on an angle. Yeah. And it has like, looks like one of those labyrinth things where the marbles kind of like flow through or whatever. And there's little toggle, wooden toggle pieces. So it's all toggle. And it has the little ball bearings. I think they're actually pachinko balls. Uh, (laughs) So little ball bearings that flow through these wooden channels down this slanted board. And then there's little toggles you switch left and right that are like essentially the instruction set, the bits that you can kind of like ah. put into positions. And as stuff flows through, you can do things like create an adder or create a, you know, maybe even a multiplier. It has like a whole instruction set that you can do. I didn't fully kind of read through everything because I was like, oh, I'm going to want one of these and it's going to be a, a terrible thing. So the old one made in the 50s was like this plastic thing and it was kind of cheap. And people use this to learn like how did the binary work and how to like set the instructions and make it go. And these people created it out of wood to kind of like for a new generation of people. So it's wow. fairly expensive, it's like a couple hundred dollars. But they said they were trying to like do this to be able to make another one out of like a sturdy plastic and kind of educate people. And it was like supremely fascinating to me that like doing general purpose computation in something that isn't a, you know electrical Manner. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's all completely in like the real world. There's no, it doesn't plug into the wall. There's no batteries. Yeah, you guys should definitely, you know, we have links for every article. Um, this is like a highly visual. You should definitely click on the link and check this out because this is really impressive. I wonder if they have a YouTube video. Uh, oh, that would be cool. So, I mean, I just kind of like have this like thing like teaching. So I have a, you know, daughter now. She's just a year old. But I have like this grandiose vision of like, teaching her to program on this thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna, like, just, here, this is how you do your instruction set, and here's how you program in the numbers, and here we're gonna, learn. oh, I don't know, maybe that's, that's probably completely unrealistic, probably completely just turn her off of, like, ever wanting to do this, so. So, so if you go on YouTube and you type Digicomp2, but with two, you do two I's, um, um, you like the Roman numeral for two, you'll actually see a video from the evil mad scientist team where they've assembled a gigantic version. Oh, looks like they're using pool balls. Yeah, in this case, they're using eight balls. That's crazy. And they have an absolutely gigantic, and I'm assuming, yeah, at some point they'll show you Oh, so yeah, so you can you can set the set the instructions. And so then, this is where they're setting the numbers to, yep. that they're going to operate on, yep. and, and then they're going to turn it on, and then the balls will begin to flow through. And then the, the one of the operands will turn into the answer. Right, so something. things will switch position, and yeah. then when it's done, you can read it, and and the computation is performed. That is amazing. So how do they I, know how many balls, like how many cycles? So I think so. Takes? Typically, they, so they actually ask it. So it depends on exactly what instruction is being said. But they said typically thirty. So when it finishes, I think essentially there's a ball that hits the off switch and it stops the flow of balls ah. at the right time. And then you know, so it's like only kind of like one as like each ball flows through, it oh, kind of triggers it, the next it ball to come the next through. Ball. Right. So eventually, when the operation is finished, that no longer happens. So like that's the final thing. That's how you know the statement is over. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, you guys have to watch this video. <laughs> it's not amazing to sit here and watch us talk about it. Um, yeah, well, I'll also link the video. Or watch us talk about it. Wow. No. Listen to <laughs> us talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Cool. So, <clears throat> so I don't know about you. I think you did. We talked about this on an earlier show. But uh, but I made a lot of games to the calculator. Did you do this? 
Yes, you told us about your cheating. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, creative. You, yes, I did as well. I told well. us about our, our like a little our RPG program. on my uh, calculator. Yeah, oh, I also made an RPG. And I, one one funny thing was I um, I knew like just enough about regression models to sort of get by. So I had a quadratic regression that I did on the calculator to um, to fit a function curve to like a set of points. So I kind of knew that like. Somebody at level 13 should have like this many HP and somebody at level 15 should have this many HP. So I kind of like did like some, some, some testing on my own at different levels to sort of figure out good values. And then I used like a regression curve to like. Oh, wow. And then, I did not do that. So, 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 so as an artifact of using this regression curve, the levels and everything, even the monsters levels could go up to infinity because it would just like follow the curve. Um, and so I had people like, like co like classmates of mine saying, dude, once you get to level like 57, this game's impossible. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, I only designed for it to go to like 13. He's like, yeah, he's like, at first I was fighting like, and I used also the text, like chromantic meant like five times the level, you know? So he's like, I was fighting like chromantic, like insane, like hardcore black dragons. And all of a sudden I was fighting random characters. <laughs> Because I like, couldn't generate the name for these guys. And he's like, and then the game got impossible. You need to fix it. <laughs> I was like, how many hours did you spend? He's like, I don't know, like hundreds. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So we, And then so, he filed a bug report against your code, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm 13. So, um, and then he threw you in the trash can. Yeah, yeah. He just filed a bug report against my face. <laughs> so um, somebody actually made... Uh, clone of or, or a game inspired by Portal on their calculator, on their graphing calculator. And so it looks pretty awesome. You can, um, you actually have eight directional controls. So I'm assuming he's using like the, you know, the keypad to shoot the laser and then maybe the left, right. The I don't portal know. gun. What's uh, it called? Oh, right. The portal yeah, gun. And the then the left, right to move around. But yeah, you should see this. It's pretty awesome. If you're a fan of like, if you have a graphing calculator, you could probably get this on there somehow. Um, so it's all written in TI Basic, and uh, it's. I think there's a. Does he have a, yep. a web version? Oh no, I don't think so. So it runs on the TI eighty three or the TI eighty four. Ah, uh, okay. I believe the TI eighty three and the TI shameless plug here and the TI eighty four are emulated by Mess. Um, so just some. Because that's what I want to do. Just a project I work on my spare time. So you can uh, you can actually play this in Mess. I'm assuming I haven't tried it, but uh, if you could download it, you could probably play it on Mess. So if we do but, that, I'll let you know. So so for all those uh, people with time to waste in their math classes. Yeah, totally. This we is way expect better. this from you. This is way better than Ti Mario, which is what I remember from from my high school classes. All right, so now it's time for. Tool of the show. Tool of the show. Yeah, we show, dropped that. We dropped the bye week. Yeah, we dropped the bye week. Sometimes, you know, I think this we. It's actually been less than two weeks. No, has it no. not been? Man, time flies. Basically, what happens is uh, we're operating on dog dog time, like dog years. So I don't. I don't like no, every I, week is really eight weeks. So. I don't know. I'm making uh, that up. Uh, uh, that doesn't make sense. To <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah, I well, think that's the opposite. We need something that runs slower. Yeah, but I think like the outside world is going at eight weeks, but we feel like it's a week because we're really busy. Okay, so that would be something that lives a long time. Oh yeah, so we're the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't stop, know. Stop. It's going downhill. <laughs> so the tool of the show. Uh, my my tool of the show is. He said all that to say we're really busy and we're yeah. sorry we don't get these out more often. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to try and keep it more regular. Um, so we're going to uh, try to keep it on, on a two-week schedule, but, uh, you know, it's pretty erratic right now. So um, Coco <laughs> Coco's 2DX and Coco's 2D HTML5. These are my app tools of the show. Like hot cocoa? Very much so. It's, it's, they're oh, both Coco's. steaming um, hot. And so, uh, so, okay, a little bit of history here. So it started off as Coco's 2D, which was a Python um, game library for, for uh, you know, programming on the desktop. And then when the iPhone came out, they made a Cocos 2D iPhone, which was, you know, written in Objective-C for the iPhone, but it had a very similar API. And a lot of the functions, a lot of the things you could do were the same. Um, that got really popular. Uh, it became like the number one game development environment for iPhone for a long time. Um, they made a Cocos 2D Android. There's a whole bunch of Cocos 2D everything. Um, 
then somebody had this genius idea, and the genius idea is you can run JavaScript on um, iPhone because you can compile the JavaScript interpreter um, on the iPhone. Okay. And, yeah, you can run JavaScript on iPhone. You can run JavaScript on Android, um, and you can run JavaScript on the browser, obviously. So <clears throat> we just make a system or a set of like a framework so that you write your code in JavaScript and it'll run on the browser, the Android, the iPhone, and like 10 other things all for free. And that's what Coco's 2DX is. And so it's pretty awesome. I mean, one of the cool things about it is you can write in Coco's 2D HTML5 and you can test and do all your testing and development on the desktop. In the browser? Yep, in the browser window. You can show it to your friends. You can be like, hey, go to mycoolwebpage.com and check out my game or whatever. So they can play it, you know. Once you've sort of got like, you know, a prototype and something that work, you feel pretty, you know, confident about, then you can just go to the iPhone or Android um, backends and it sh most of it just works. Nice. Yeah. So you'll have to change the UI, obviously, because you're going from a mouse to a touchscreen. So you might have to change some stuff there, but the vast majority of the code stays the same, which is totally awesome. So highly recommended if you want to do any game programming on mobile. Very cool. Yeah. I have another non-open source tool. <laughs> Surprise! Ding, 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 ding. All right. Uh, so mine is Snapseed. Yep. So Snapseed uh, used to be pay and is now free on both Android and iOS. And nice. it is a photo editing application for your devices, your mobile devices. And this is a, uh, produced by a company, Nick Software, who I think recently was bought by uh, Google. Oh, okay. um, but Nick Software, they do actually really high-end Photoshop plugins. And um, they, they're really expensive and they're really well-recognized among professionals. But Snapseed is really intuitive, easy way for you to kind of like do, uh, think like if you ever used Picasa, like think like Picasa, but like on your phone. Like, Oh, auto-correct the colors, auto-correct the exposure, uh, apply these filters, wow. those kinds of things. And I was testing it on my Nexus 7 earlier. Um, I also have it on my iPad. And wow, that sounds like really bad. I shouldn't say what? things like that. Like, oh, I have it on all of these 10 devices. <laughs> um, well, everyone knows you're just total. It, it balances us out, though, because I am not a technophile at all. Well, that's not a right word of saying it. I like tech, but I don't like... Gadgets, like I'm not a gadgetophile, oh, <laughs> if that's okay. a word. Uh, so I, you know, I just got the smartphone not too long ago, and like I'm a late adopter to like almost all tech. So um, gadgets. So uh, we make a good compliment. We compliment each other. So for everything I don't have, you have. Oh, it's not actually showing. I was trying to show Jason, but it's not. It's so not wait, what are you trying well. to do? So this is like I have a picture here open. This is gonna be really boring to everybody. So you can just apply things, and you drag left and right oh, to that's adjust. Oh, cool. Change the brightness. Up and down to select what you're adjusting. So here I'm adding more grain to make it look like film. So he's showing me a picture less. of his daughter that is just turning into like a zombie with all these effects. <laughs> it's kind of weirding me out. Sorry, yeah, don't offend. They're unoffended. They're <laughs> No, that looks really cool though. Can you can you do like so one common thing that I want to do in pictures is blur out like my license plate, let's say. <laughs> like so for example, I took a do I want to ask why you want to blur stuff out in all your pictures. <laughs> so anyways, I don't know. Pictures. We can yeah. look into that. I don't uh, know. like I, a I took a picture of the back of my car to show I was carrying some really heavy things in my car. Uh, now you're like sticking out the top of the car and I wanted to blur the license plate of the car in the picture. And so will this do that kind of thing too? Maybe, I don't know. Oh, I haven't okay. looked at that. That's very specific, I don't know. This yeah, does yeah. like general correct, correcting and color correction, that kind of stuff. So it works really well, it's really intuitive. It's one of those things where instead of just porting the phone version or the, the desktop version, mm -hmm. and like they really tried to go a little bit farther with the interface and make it more intuitive about what you're supposed to do and how to do it. And um, yeah, check it out, I mean, it's free, right? Like what, a, you know, can't, can't be that terrible if you can check it out for free. Um, well, I guess yeah, it could be terrible, it, but it doesn't have a lot right of risk now. to you. So, okay, now you're trying it. Now Jason will not it's be paying very attention grungy. for the rest of the show. I chose grunge, and it definitely feels, I feel like that's pretty. Industrial grungy pretty, picture. It's a pretty grungy tree. Yeah, all yeah. right. So he's trying it with the default picture. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, so check it out, Snapseed. Um, all one word. You can check it. We have a link to snapseed.com, yeah, which I assume cool. has one to both the iOS app store and the Play store. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for all those devices you guys may or may not have. Well, cool. If you don't have them, I guess it's not helpful. But, yes. Yeah, yeah. All, well, you it supports them. it supports the ones you have and the ones you don't have. It's pretty yep. cool. And it's cool because sometimes you take a picture and it just didn't turn out quite right. And you want to just fix it a little bit before you send it out or post it on a social network or, yep. or whatever. So, yeah, that's great. 
That's amazing. So we're starting something new this show. Yeah, Something new, totally. 22 episodes in. I know. We should have done this episode once. A great idea. Wow. Wow. is tuning his horn. I'm okay. already happy about this. So so uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, message, email us, post on our G+, and they say, you know, I want to get into programming. How do I do it? Or, you know, I want more resources on programming. You guys don't yak enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, one thing is about the show, we can't say, like, Oh, and then type C out this, and then because that would be the most boring episode ever. No one would want to listen to that. I wouldn't want to listen to myself saying that. So, uh, you know, we we sort of talk about things at a high level, but the reality is, for somebody to just to start coding, they also need some help. They need some resources, like like some text that they can look at. And so we are starting the book of the show. Book of the show. Book of the show. Where Jason and I recommend a book for you to read. Check out this book. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, I think uh, everybody's tuned out now. <laughs> Just you and me. Yeah. What is that guy called? The guy who busts through the wall and goes, oh, The yeah. Kool-Aid man? Oh, is it the Kool-Aid man? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, we need the Kool-Aid man guest speaker for Book of the Show. I will insert that sound effect here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. No, that was All just right. still Jason. No, that was me again. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, book of the show. Um, keep in mind, we're going to uh, provide links for you to buy these books. Um, and we're going to set this up through the Amazon affiliate program. So, uh, running the podcast actually costs us a significant amount of money. And it also costs Host Tornado, who's our, our uh, benevolent benefactors, or we're the benefactors of their uh, bandwidth. There's a lot of bees in that statement. So what Jason's trying to say here, I'll break it down into plain English. Uh, he, he's saying, yeah. So I mean, there are some expenses associated with this, associated with this show, and um, you know, help offset that. We're going to try to uh, recommend some stuff that we think is useful for you guys. Yeah, totally. And if you, um, you know, if you do decide you want one of these books, if you can, if Amazon has a good price and you know delivers in a good manner to where you live, and and you'd be interested in buying it that way, that would help out the show, and we'd appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, just to put things in perspective, we used uh, what? Can you add these add these numbers in off the top of your head? No. Like eighty is about two hundred. This is about. So use like a, like a terabyte. Yeah, we used about a terabyte of bandwidth um, uh, last last month. last month alone. So that's that's a lot of bandwidth. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, so if you are going to buy these books, if you're interested, please please help us out. Buy them through the Amazon. Uh, link that we provide that would be awesome so but um, in general we're going to recommend these books if they haven't at your library and you want to get them that way i mean that, that's totally cool right like yeah. these are things that we think are like good resources totally. in general for you to for you to consider looking at yeah we're not going to tell we're not going to show you either like we're not going to just recommend anything like if we don't have a book we won't recommend it and uh we're only going to recommend books that we've at least read most of so yes um, and we know are good so anyways without any further ado my first book of the show is uh, Algorithms in C++ by Robert Sedgwick. Um, uh, this book got me all through through college. Um, it's an amazing book. Um, it, so it does algorithms in C++, but if you're like a Python or a Java coder, you shouldn't worry. Uh, you'll have to learn basic you know, C++ to, to know what's going on, but that shouldn't be too bad. And the nice thing about C++ is there's no hidden complexity. So, you know, if he did algorithms in Java, and I think actually there is an algorithms in Java book, and they are pretty good about not doing this, but you could see the case where someone's like, oh, you know, there's a for loop, and, and so because of that, it's order, it takes n time because you have a for loop. But the reality is inside that for loop, you're calling some Java function like collections.sort, which takes, you know, n log n, right? So like so some languages that have a lot of as you say batteries included can sort of hide the complexity like you know which is nice but in this case is bad. So by using yeah, I think C++, most algorithms books are pretty good about not doing that because that kind yeah. of obscures what you're trying to learn. Yep, totally. But this algorithm is the C++. C++ is a good language for doing this kind of um, stuff in and uh, he goes through the code pretty thoroughly. Um, has a many different categories. I think there's one book where the whole book is just graph theory. Um, so this so. is five books. Oh, that's right. So it's actually, oh. well, it's confusing. It's two books, but one book has parts one through five in it, or one through four in it. And the second book has part five. So a little confusing. Wow. Okay. That's, that's not a little confusing, dude. That's very confusing. Yeah, it's, it's very confusing. So confusion aside, book is totally worth it, even then. Um, so <clears throat> I actually realized we should have done a different book based on our topic today, but uh, we'll save that for another day. 
Uh, you could, you could, you could. No, it's okay. It's all right. I like mine. All right. You're gonna steal it if I don't do it. <laughs> okay. So, what's your book of the show? My book of the show, which I'm not changing because I like it. <laughs> despite, despite this despite. book is awesome. Actually, we've both read this book, and it's yes, very so this good. is good. So, so, um, Jason did something algorithms. This year. I mean, that's very technical. That's very like you know high level. So something else. Which um, I think sometimes people think is a very complicated topic, but it's really not. It's kind of one of those things where is so algorithms are something where you wouldn't necessarily think to do that on your own. I mean, if you're really mm-hmm. smart, maybe you would, and maybe some of the algorithms are kind of like a natural outcropping of something you would already do, and it's just formalizing. But it really is like like aha moments. Like I didn't know. Like that's how you would yep. find the distance to the closest thing in the graph, or you know the shortest path between two points, nodes in a graph, or like those kind of things. Are you could sit down and work out something. But this is it is really teaching you the formalization of it and also new techniques. Yeah, like this, often you you might have some problem and there's some brute force way to solve anything, right? So so pretty much almost any problem there's some brute force way to solve it that's really easy to code up. But it'll take, you know, Forever. years and years to run. Yeah, and, that, and that's when you really need algorithms. But the book you're going to present, you always need. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is um, head-first design patterns. Yep. So head-first design, and we have, we'll have a link in the show notes. And so design patterns, we've been asked about a little bit. Maybe we'll do it in a show. But I mean, design patterns, a lot of them, like when I first heard it, I was like, whoa, like this sounds crazy. And people talk about it like revolutionizing the way they do coding. And, and I mean, I, I don't mean to say those people are wrong or discount them. I mean, it could be. And it, I mean, it was in some way for me that, like it was able to teach me to recognize uh, things in my code that I was doing and I wasn't aware of. Yep. Change them slightly to make them more kind of generally accepted approach or refine them slightly. Um, but what it is is design patterns is really kind of finding common themes and things you need to do in your code yep. and formalizing them, saying like, hey, here's a really good way to do this. So, you know, kind of the most common one people think about is, at least I think most people think about, is a singleton. Yep. So it's the first one you learn about. What is a singleton? And then if you hear about this concept and you don't understand the structure of it, you kind of use it incorrectly. Uh, and people are kind of like, oh, this is really clever. Like I learned this slight coding trick that most languages have to do it, and then I use it as a way to kind of do naughty things that I wasn't supposed <laughs> to do other in other ways. Yeah. Um, but head-first design pattern will go through, it goes through singleton, it goes through, you know, uh, uh, publisher, subscriber, I believe is in there. Um, there's all sorts of the decorator pattern. What yeah. are these things? What do they mean? Kind of taking object-oriented a little bit farther and saying like, hey, let's, formalize some of those structures, provide a common way to do them, what they're good for, what they're bad for. And the book is really interesting to read. Like it's actually, yeah. a, of programming books are normally very cut and dry and like, oh, this feels like reading a textbook. This one's not like that. The examples are very um, fun, kind of like loose ways. Like, oh, I wanna have a pizza shop and you know, I wanna be people be able to create new kinds of pizza in my program, right? Yep. These kinds of things, very easy, very real life kind of things and lots of little pictures and drawings and kind of, it, it doesn't teach you the very, very in-depth, deep, deep read, but it's a very easy read. So yeah, you can get through it, you can get an idea, and then say, like, do I want to go further from here? What do I want to look up? What do I want to consider? Yeah, and it's got that little bit of that, I don't know what the art style is, but sort of like the, the you, you know how you'd see, like, like Rosie the welder or whatever, right? Like from the oh, 50s? Like the, okay. Yeah, where she's like, like, there's like just pictures of Rosie, and, and then she's saying some quote. That like, was Rosie the Riveter. Oh, you're right. Rosie the... What did I say? The Rosie welder. the welder. <laughs> so Rosie the Riveter. So it's like a picture of Rosie and she's like, be tough girls or whatever. And so they, they have this same kind of art style. Like they have this guy who's just like, yeah, coding is totally cool. And he's just like, but it's like a picture, like black and white picture of this guy. Yeah, I mean, it's a little... I mean, they don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah, which I think is great. I yeah. actually really like the uh, So I mean, there's the a whole style. series, this this head first stuff. And a lot of it is really good. I've read some of them, some of it, a lot of it have And the cover has a woman with a gigantic head. Well, yeah, because it is a strange picture. I always thought that was kind of weird. But it's because it's head first. Oh, you know, that's one of those things that, like, you once you find out that you didn't get it, you feel really dumb. <laughs> it's head first. It's the one with a gigantic head, of course. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so, yeah, check, check it out. Um, you know, I like it. I've read it. Yeah, it's a great book. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. I mean, it's not going to probably get you through a design pattern class in school. Uh, but it, it's going to introduce the topic to you, provide a jumping off point. And like I said, it's an easy read, which is rare in uh, computer science And books. it's good to formalize these things. So, for example, um, 
you know, I played a lot of chess, and then eventually I got to the point where I went to like a chess school, or someone someone taught me a lot of chess, like because I, I was playing. Yeah, chess I actually won the Florida State Championship. Nice. I, I was did like not know seventeen. That. Yeah. So, and so then it's like because you didn't have that, to play me. Oh, da da da. So there are things that I uh, that I did, you know, but I didn't really know, you know, I didn't really know, know them formally. Like for example, there's something in chess called pinning, where you have like a piece that could like hit the enemy's king like you could get a checkmate but there's a piece in the way like one of the opponent's pieces is keeping you from checkmating right or, or from checking the king well that piece is like pinned like if he moves the piece then you would take his king in theory right and mm -hmm. win the game so that piece can't move and so that there's things you can do like you can move to where that piece would have attacked because you know it can't move for example and so it's like you might do these things like as just a chess player, but not really like completely understand them and like completely understand the scope and what you're capable of, how they can get out of it. And, and so when I got like formal training in chess, it like improved dramatically, like over just things I was doing on my own. And well, so it's a common language too. So now like this pinning concept of which I, I do not know anything. Um, would like now if you wanted to Google that, like you could look up strategies related to pinning. Uh, yeah, that's now true. that you know it, right? So in computer science, to bring this like into like a little bit more, like if you don't know it is singleton, it's unlikely actually singleton. You'd probably figure out on your own. Or maybe but, like publisher maybe, subscribe, people, but publisher subscribe. Like you totally might do that, or the decorator panel. Like you totally might do those on your own. Yeah. But now that you know what it's called, you can like look up and you can find new ways of doing it or better ways of doing it. Yep. Or like if you have a problem with it or is it the right case to do it, right? And it provides a language for you to talk to people in. Yep. And you might be using, let's say, Java. And Java has pub subs for all their event handling for their GUI, for the Java Swing GUI. Um, you, you know, by knowing the design pattern and knowing that's what, you know, so you could immediately look at that and say, oh, this is what Java's doing. And you know sort of in like what is going on under the covers because like they're probably using the design pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, design patterns can have many forms of implementations, but you know, again, they're just their patterns. And there's also anti-patterns, which are also design patterns, but they're ones you probably shouldn't be using. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So like, you know, spaghetti code, like we've heard that term. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, that's a design pattern. It's very common, but it's actually a bad one. Like you shouldn't do that. Right, yep. So, all right, time for our talk about LaTeX. LaTeX. And tech. And tech. It's not LaTeX or yeah, tech. Yeah, I, I, I won't lie. Until I was preparing for this show, I always <laughs> called it LaTeX. I actually called it LaTeX until um, my professor, my advisor criticized me. He's like, no, it's LaTeX. And so... Um, I, I kind of feel like, like I know that's what I guess is the common way or the accepted way, but it's kind of one of those things like... It's a word you don't really hear said. You just read yeah. it. And the thing is, especially with, not so much with tech, but with, or even with tech, like you have Tex-Mex food, right? Yeah. Or like you have latex gloves, right? Right. So like you're used to using the word a different way or saying the yeah. word a different way. So, uh, so, so spelling pronunciation. So it's because tau, epsilon, chi, right. which are Greek letters, yeah. is what tech is spelled as. And they're kind of, if you ever see it written, it's written and it looks slightly funny. Yeah. Um, and that's because it's, you know, trying to be slightly, show the typography capabilities of being able to write, for instance, Greek letters yep. in, your, in your stuff. So who, who wrote the original tech? Donald Newth. Donald Newth. You know, I, I think I already said this story once, but it was okay. many episodes ago, but I go the same optometrist as Donald Newth. I tell yes, you, you, I think you did. I still have yet to see him. So I've been to optometrist. Ah, <laughs> I see what you did there. Ah. Totally not intentional. <laughs> I've yet to see him. Yeah, I just keep seeing spots in front of my eyes. No Donald So Newt. I actually think it's Knuth as well. Oh, it's Knuth. Okay. That's what, that's what uh, the pronunciation key says. Ah, Knuth. Okay. But uh, I, so yeah. if you ever see him ever at see the optometrist, <laughs> I don't think he could see me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, Donald Knuth is rather old. But um, seventy four. Seventy four years. Oh, old. we shouldn't talk about people's age. That's, that's not. That's not polite. Oh, well, he's a public figure. Okay. Wikipedia, if Wikipedia <laughs> could do it, we could do it. That should be the new rule on the show. That's right. a very dangerous rule. Yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, tech was written by Donald Knuth. Um, who was a math professor, I believe. I mean, yep. he's, he's known so, for his computer science contributions. But right. I think he originally started off in math. All right. Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, he was upset. He was writing a book, mm -hmm. a kind of famous set of books, Art of Computer Programming. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was disappointed when he was trying to actually do the second revision of his code with, with the current technology for, type, for printing books, typesetting. 
right? So you know, way back in the day with uh, Gutenberg, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you would have like little letters which were like carved, and you could move them, and yep. you, that was the movable type printing press. So you could take the block that had the letter carved on it in a specific way, and you could move them around to change for each page, and you would bring that whole shelf of letters onto the paper and they would print it, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, it was a long time before we kind of got to where that wasn't the way things were done anymore. Yeah. Because I mean, it, you really require computers to be able to do something digitally to kind of shape the letters or put them on a disc or image it or project it or, I mean, and that was a, a relatively modern invention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so he, um, he was dissatisfied with the, you know, so one thing with the computers is, <clears throat> like I mean, you you've all seen those like old terminals now that you see them in the cash registers as like DOS terminals with like the the DOS box art where it's like they've made art out of the little characters. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes. So I mean, clear computers clearly didn't have the flexibility as these printing presses where you could like you know if you wanted to do a subscript, you could just take a smaller number and just put it there because like everything was sort of floating in a sense. So he was dissatisfied with this and he wrote tech as a way to formally describe you know exactly the typography that he wanted with you know superscripts and subscripts and all sorts of you know formulae formula and, and things like that so um, and then after tech uh, somebody else so so somebody started writing macros for tech as you do with any language right as as the language grows up like most of C++ is written in C++ you know we've talked about this bootstrapping yeah bootstrapping so people have written a lot of tech macros to simplify their life and they'd written so many that it got compiled into something that is now its own program which is essentially tech with all these macros and that's called LaTeX LaTeX la 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 and LaTeX is called so because it was made by Leslie Lamport so um, he decided to prepend his, the first two letters of his last name called LaTeX. Guess you get that's your uh, privilege if you uh, yeah if you, if you make a, such a large contribution. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I mean, people may not have ever used this before. So it's like me, like I've heard about this a lot, but I haven't very very rarely used it. Mm-hmm. And you know, people just think like, oh, this is like Word. So and it's like, well, kind of. It part of what Word does is related to this. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, one thing that really separates us from Word is, you know, Microsoft Word and like some other products, they call them WYSIWYG, which means what you see is what you get. And so, you know, with Word, as you're sort of typing and you go, you put an image, you drag the image into your Word doc and it's there, right? Like you see the image. Um, you know, you, <clears throat> you do different things, like you create a formula and there's a little formula, Microsoft formula editor. And when you're done, the formula's there, like in the page. And you expect when you print it to just, it to look like it does on the screen. Right. Um, tech is not like that. Tech is uh, what you see is what you mean, which is, uh, I don't know exactly. if that's a cop out or, <laughs> <laughs> but so tech is really a programming language. And the idea is, you know, you program your document and so, for example, the, the biggest way in which this is noticeable is with figures. So the way with tech, the way tech works is you have what's called a reference to a figure. So you might say, like, you might be talking about a figure in a document. And then in parentheses, you might say, see, you know, and then in the tech, you know, code, you do slash ref, you know, figure one. So and then it'll actually change that to see figure one, right? But um, you can actually, in tech, put all of your figures at the bottom of your source file. Like you could be writing a 300 page book and write all 300 pages of this tech source code and then at the bottom have you know three pages of just images. Mm. And tech will put your images in the right spot based on your references. So it's a very different paradigm and in some ways you're kind of at the mercy of the tech compiler, although there are like directives you can give it if you really want something a certain way. In some way you're at the mercy of the compiler, but in other ways you, uh, don't have to think about that stuff. Like, like I, you can put all your figures at the bottom and just say, look, put my figures wherever it looks pleasing. You know, or you just write your equations and you say, look, just make this equation work. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, so it is kind of like an up, it's a double-edged sword. But, uh, and yeah, I mean, so like as like a language, like anything, it kind of gets adapted and people are using it for mm-hmm. various different things. So, so you've, you just fairly frequently, right? Yeah. So you, you, you encountered it in academia or before you got to school? 
Uh, academia, yeah. Okay. So, all right. so many, almost all academic conferences want you, or even textbooks, things like that, want you to write in LaTeX or Tech. And Which is at least computer science ones. Yeah, that's true. I can't okay. speak for, although I believe this is, well, I don't know, actually. I can't speak for outside of computer science. I know computer engineering does. Oh, <laughs> there you say. go. So, um, <clears throat> one of the reasons that a lot of people want you to use LaTeX is because you're writing the source code, it actually takes your source code, your .tech file that you write, and then it also takes as an input a .sty file, a style file. And the style file sort of tells all of those things like what font to use, like when, like should the chapter headings be this point or that point font, should the, you know, should you have a table of contents or not? Like the style file can actually tell a tech whether or not to generate a table of contents. You might not, not have one, right? So it'll do all this crazy stuff. And another thing is the style file short of is a way that keeps the publisher's stuff, uh, keeps the publisher's like IP in a sense. So for example, um, we, you know, we talked about head first design patterns, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they have a certain style, a certain font, you know, they have certain, like, a way their books look and things like that. And that style's private. Even people who, if you were to write a chapter for Head First Design Patterns, you still would not have access to their style. Like, it would look totally different to you than when it went into print. And so that way, you know, you couldn't just steal their style and, like, make your own Head First Patrick Wheeler Patterns <laughs> thing, you know, book. So... Um, it's, it's really common in the professional industry for this reason. Another thing is there's something called bibtex. Bib so is that what you wear when you eat lobster? <laughs> a bib? No, that's it's a digital bib. It's bib tech. Uh, yeah. So a tech bib. A tech technology bib. I don't know. It's that's one with the LEDs. Oh man, I totally Blue. want an LED bib. Blue LED. Like from Tron. That's what Tron would wear if he was eating lobster. He would be wearing a bib tech. So. <laughs> BibTech is amazing. Um, you can actually go to scholar.google.com, which is a, a Google, uh, like a scholar, like a research academic paper search. So you can go to scholar.google.com. You could type in Donald Knuth. You'll see a bunch of articles written by him and books and whatnot. And if you wanted to cite one in, one of, in something you were writing, you could um, click on import BibTech and you'll get a .bib file. So, you know, you're Export, get, export. So oh yeah, Ex well you're, you're actually you're exporting from the article oh, right. Right. to a, a snippet of code yep. that yeah. you're importing into your tech file. Right, yeah, so I think the Scholar thing actually says import and what they mean is Oh, so you, you can import it, it into You can import, yeah, uh, anyways. Okay. I see, that's why you were confused. Yeah, okay. it's confusing. So, so you know, you end up with this tech file, this sty file, and all these bib files that you've gotten across the web and tech the tech program sort of, you know, munges it all together into this document. So um, <clears throat> it's pretty freaking cool. It can um, export to many different formats. This is the part I really like. So I did my uh, resume in tech. And the reason why is because... <laughs> oh, sorry. That's so confusing. It sounds like technology. That's right. <laughs> go ahead. Your tech resume. My, in LaTeX. Okay. I did my resume in LaTeX. And so... The reason why is because I can do LaTeX to HTML. It exports to HTML. Put it on your website. In, putting it on the website. LaTeX to PDF. It's actually called PDF LaTeX. Okay. Submitting PDF. to a website submission form. Yeah, exactly. And I also have uh, on the website, it's like for a PDF version. Oh, click download. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it even does things which I don't really need. There's a DVI format, which is basically uh, an image for every page. Oh, just okay. like squish mm -hmm. together if you need that. There's there's PostScript if you're into that. Um, so it has support for many different formats, which is pretty awesome. So this is pretty flexible, and, and it kind of is right up our alley as like programmers, right? This is yep. similar to writing HTML and CSS. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you kind of write your markup for your what you want to type, and you don't worry about all this other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then you can kind of worry about formatting as a separate process. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy. It's just like that. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, that way later on, if you decide, oh, I totally want to change the look and feel of my website, but I don't want to have to like redo all the HTML and JavaScript. Well, you just change your CSS file. So this is the same kind of thing. Like you can actually have a paper that you submit to one conference or that you put on, you know, your website. And if somebody else likes your paper, you can, you know, give it to them and the HTML content and then they can, you know, put their own style on it. So, yeah. 
it was pretty flexible. It's something that you know it's good to be aware of because it does it's useful. It, it's kind of one of those like as a programming topic. It's not like is it a dynamically typed language? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like uh, I mean, we're not getting into those kind of discussions. It is Turing complete. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm sure uh, it's not pretty code to look at. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, maybe we'll have to get back into some where we're talking about a lot of those kind of deep topics. Yeah. But this is something that's definitely helpful because people writing resumes, people yep. writing any sort of you know text to practice with this and to kind of kind of learn it and understand that it's out there. If you see it on somewhere, you'll know what it means. Yep. I think the biggest use case is going to be resumes. So, I mean, other than people who have to write, you know, conference papers and things for school, but, you know, if you're going to do your resume, I highly recommend that you use LaTeX. And we'll show you, we'll talk about a little later some tools which will make it easy. But um, actually, later is now. Okay, later is now? All right, it is. Some tools that make this easy when you're ready to write (laughs) in LaTeX. Yeah. So, I use Lix, which is, it sounds, it sounds dirtier than it is, but wait, uh, it didn't sound dirty. Oh. Licks. It didn't sound dirty. Now, oh, now, 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 I, now it does. Now I gave everyone the mental image. Okay, so licks, L Y X. You dirty people out there. <laughs> licks is a WYSIWYG editor that supports LaTeX. Wait, I thought you said um, it wasn't exports WYSIWYG. to LaTeX. No, this is WYSIWYG. Oh. So this is the cool thing. So Licks looks and feels like Microsoft uh, Word. Mm-hmm. But then it exports to tech, um. which is pretty awesome. And, you know, of course, they did the thing where you can give it a, you know, an installation of LaTeX and it'll do the whole thing. Like it'll go straight to PDF, HTML, all these things. So, but so LaTeX also kind of wraps up this idea, like these algorithms for actually doing like justification and what should go into the new line and how stuff should be rendered, that kind of rendering. It, it's not only just the language and the mm-hmm. style, but also this rendering yeah. to kind of so call it an image, right? Like PDF or this DVL, like as an image, right? Like how how many letters should be on each line? What should the font look like? I mean, yep. that, it handles that as well. Yeah, totally. And it handles the placement of images, you know, on the page. Right, right. Which you'll is know what to like to move forward. an image to the next page, all that stuff. So it'll actually, it's even more clever than that. It will actually... If you have one line by itself on a page, it'll move it to the next page. So you don't have what's called an orphan line on a page. Ah. So it does all these like really clever things that like if you're doing it in Word, you'd have to manually do it. Like, you know, hit enter a few times, right? It just does that for you, which is pretty clever. Um, so yeah, you could write your resume in, in Lix using like the Lix, you know, WYSIWYG editor and get it to look kind of how you want. And then you just, with a couple of clicks, it goes to HTML and it goes to PDF. And, you know, you could do this in Word, like Word actually exports to HTML, but the HTML that Word generates is complete garbage. And it's because Word doesn't have this decoupled, you know? Like when you export LaTeX to HTML, you have your source code, which it creates like an HTML file for, and then you have your style that turns into a CSS file. Like it, it naturally flows from one to the other. Um, if you've ever exported from Word to HTML, it is just like the most god awful like like thing you've ever seen in your life. Like it's it's just you could tell the machine generated is just complete garbage. So uh, do your resume in Licks, and you will be well rewarded. You will be mm-hmm. able to put your resume on your website, and it will look awesome. So I assume it's also able to do the whole like. Uh view source and then you know like edit your LaTeX yeah. file directly so if you can't figure out what button combination to push to make this thing do this yeah so um, it's a little bit trickier than that um, what you can do is you can do view source and I'll show you what it looks like but um, if you want to manually put in tech code you have to do like you have to actually go to insert and say insert like tech code uh, so you can manually put tech code but um, but uh, <clears throat> Um, it'll actually let you do anything tech will do. And it'll actually, when you're creating functions and things like that, like mathematical functions, it'll let you write tech code. There. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's pretty pretty freaking cool. Um, so I have not used this a lot. So I will not have any tools. <laughs> yeah, for tools, I mean, like I said, Lix is a great tool. If you're going to write LaTeX, um, definitely use Lix. It makes your life a lot easier. Um, we talked a little bit about the uses of LaTeX, you know, mainly academic writing, people writing books, books textbooks, yeah. any 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 reference material that you read will probably I'm be I'm intrigued by this bibliography generation thing. This seems like a good idea. Yeah. I hate making bibliographies. Yeah, that's a nightmare, right? So, um, yeah, clearly resume. And we found this out today. Uh, you know, someone often says, oh, look at my CV. Well, CV is curriculum vitae, which I we knew that. We knew that much. But 
if you have two CVs, that is actually curricula vitae. That's right, not curricula, curriculum vitae yeah. or vitaes or you're, you're, <laughs> you're making plural the wrong word. Yeah, yeah, in Latin you pluralize the, the first word. Or maybe vitae is an adjective or something. I don't know. That's well, like I, life story, right? So like curriculum is like the, the noun part and vitae is the adjective part. Uh, oh, we're nerding out now. I yeah, see so, what you're yeah, so you don't say, I, I, uh, I have three reds, dog. I have three <laughs> red dogs. But in just like in many languages, the adjective follows the noun. Uh, and so I then, yeah, I, I don't know Latin. You know, that's what Wikipedia said. Does that? I think it makes more sense that the adjective should follow the noun. It like does in a way because you know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you should know that it's the dog. Bad English. That's red and fluffy and furry. You should write a letter. Yeah. Otherwise, you get the letter wrong to thing the editor. Head. Yeah, letter to the English editor. I don't know who that is, but you write <laughs> it. Uh, actually, you should email the president of the internet. Oh. And then the president of the internet could help you find who the president of English is. There you go. There you go. Totally. Maybe I'll email the inventor of the internet because that's the person who I know. Al Gore, right? Didn't Al you Gore know Al Gore? The, no, but oh. I know that he invented Oh, you just know internet. his name. Okay. So <laughs> we can start there. Okay. Uh, I think we're definitely out of time now. Okay. Uh, so uh, any parting words? No. Uh, check out Check out our book. Uh, recommendations? Book, yeah. we. Uh, this is our not first book recommendation, so we purposely chose one that we believe strongly is a good book. So We chose two. W- oh, I like that you chose we one. We each chose one. Oh, okay. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, <laughs> so we chose one book that really mattered, and then we chose Head vs. Dime Pattern. Oh! <laughs> People are going to get the wrong idea, man. No, both of these books are amazing. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for, you know, we complained about it using a terabyte of bandwidth last month, but uh, it's amazing. It's great that we have that many people listening That's to right. the show. That's right. Keep listening. Yeah. We'll and we won't turn this into content. an advertisement palooza. Oh, no, it won't be like that at all. We, these, Like I said, we generally believe in these books. And the other thing is the, uh, the next show we're going to do is definitely going to be a real programming topic that I know a lot of people will be interested in. So okay. We've done the mailbag. Now we did LaTeX. So you kind of hardcore. Like, you know, we want hardcore programming. Yeah, show off. Next time, time for us to show off our programming chops. Next time we're going to we're going to show some pretty awesome stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, till next time. All right. See, see you guys you. later. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution. Uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.